get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Monday, October the 9th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, the Chinese presidents met with the U.S. delegation headed by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Oil prices have jumped following some of the worst violence between Israel and Hamas in decades. And Chinese experts are helping with the restoration of an ancient Uzbek city. In business, strong numbers from China's retail and logistics sectors. In sports, China sets a golden record at the Hangzhou Asian Games. In culture and entertainment, China's strong box office numbers over last week's holiday. Now the day's top stories. Chinese President Xi Jinping has met with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and his delegation in Beijing. Xi Jinping said the China-U.S. relationship is the most important one in the world and how the two countries get along with each other in the face of a world of change and turmoil will determine the future of mankind. He said China and the U.S. must demonstrate the broad-mindedness, vision and responsibility of major countries and work to enhance the well-being of the people and promote societal progress. He said the world is developing and times are changing, but the historical logic of peaceful coexistence between China and the U.S. has not changed. Earlier, senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi also met with Schumer and the U.S. bipartisan delegation. Dong Shui has details. Chinese senior diplomat Wang Yi in talks with the U.S. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, uh, who is accompanied by two other Democrats and the three Republicans uh, for this trip in China this time. Well, this uh, marks their first meeting to kick off a two-day itinerary in Beijing, following two days spent in Shanghai, and they will then proceed to the northwestern city of Xi'an. Well, earlier for their um, opening remarks, both sides expressed willingness to strengthen communication and to responsibly manage the bilateral relationship. Wang said that uh, Beijing hopes this visit can contribute to a more objective understanding of China in the U.S. Congress and help stabilize and improve bilateral relations. He also reiterated that China and the U.S. have very different cultural and historical backgrounds, but these differences should not hinder each other's development. And instead, both nations need to uh, respect each other's uh, development paths. And Schumer, uh, on the other hand, acknowledged that the competition is natural in areas like trade, technology, and diplomacy uh, between these two countries. He said, and I quote, we welcome this uh, competition. However, we do not seek conflict. Schumer then emphasized that the world expects us to uh, demonstrate our willingness to engage in frank but productive communication as part of this bipartisan uh, delegation. And he reiterated that the, the U.S. does not want to decouple with China. They want the Chinese people to have an um, economic opportunity opportunities that would also be beneficial for America. And then later, uh, they also exchanged views on regional and international issues of common concerns, including the ongoing Ukraine crisis, as well as the escalating uh, conflicts between Israel and Palestine. That was Dong Shui on the meeting between Wang Yi and Chuck Schumer in the Chinese capital.
Israel's cabinet declared a state of war after a massive surprise attack launched by Hamas. The conflict has killed over 1,100 people on both sides. In meantime, media reports say 260 bodies of young people attending the Nova Festival, an outdoor music event near the Gaza-Israel fence, have been removed. Um, the UN Agency for Palestinian Refugees says 74,000 displaced Gazans are staying in shelters, uh, with one school taking a direct hit. Hamas and the smaller Palestinian militant group Islamic Jihad say they've taken more than 130 people from Israel captive and brought them into Gaza. The group says they'll trade the people for the release of thousands of Palestinians imprisoned by Israel. Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas has called on the international community to immediately intervene. He's also held Israel responsible for cutting off essential supplies to Palestinian people in Gaza. Major airlines from various countries have cancelled dozens of flights to Tel Aviv this weekend because of the attacks. John Gambrell has updates from Jerusalem. Israel is continuing to launch uh, jet attacks on Gaza after this Hamas incursion that's killed so many. Uh, just in the last couple of minutes, I've been able to hear jets from where I am in Jerusalem flying overhead. There have been hundreds of strikes on Gaza by Israel. Israel is also still trying to fight the remaining Hamas militants that are still in southern Israel right now. They're still, fight, they're still fighting going on, just going to show how serious this incursion has been. Now, for the emotions for Israelis at this point, they are still in shock. I had one person today describe it as Israel's Pearl Harbor, referring to when the Japanese had their surprise attack on America that drew Washington into World War II. Um, others compared it to the 1973 Mideast War, where surrounding Arab nations launched a surprise attack against Israel during the Jewish High Holy Day of Yom Kippur. Now, as of right now, Israelis are lining up. Some are giving uh, their DNA to the police so they can test the dead to see if they are Unfortunately, these people's loved ones. Israel has moved a lot of armored personnel carriers, tanks to the Gaza border. There's no sign yet that they plan a ground operation into Gaza, but a lot of analysts are saying that may be where this conflict is heading. I think the number one priority moving forward for uh, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, as well as the Israeli military, is trying to do something about the hostages that Hamas, as well as the other militant group, Islamic Jihad, hold. Uh, in the last few hours, we've had Hamas acknowledge that they hold about 100 Israeli civilians as hostages. Islamic Jihad, which is a separate group, says they have some 30 hostages. That really complicates whatever action Israel takes going forward, because Israel now have to weigh every airstrike against the chance that perhaps one of those hostages is in the area that they're attacking. They also have to consider that if they go in in a ground operation into Gaza, which could be incredibly bloody and dangerous, both for their troops, for the Hamas and Islamic Jihad militants, as well as the, civilian, the Palestinian civilians that are stuck inside of Gaza. You have to remember Gaza is surrounded by an Israeli border wall, as, uh, as well as the uh, blocked off from the Egyptian border, and their back is against the Mediterranean Sea, leaving civilians there nowhere to go. And again, it also makes it more complicated for any effort to try to rescue these Israeli hostages. That was John Gambrell reporting. As Palestinian militants carry out attacks on targets in settlements outside of Gaza, Israeli warplanes have launched a series of airstrikes on the coastal enclave. Nur Harazin reports from Gaza. 
a night of heavy Israeli shelling and airstrikes turn Gaza into a ghost city. As the air fills with dust and smoke, roads are full of ash, broken glass, bricks and other debris. People are trapped in their homes in fear. Only those who have fled have the courage to return. Rashad al-Bawab, 45 years old, had to leave his home with his family, running from the heavy airstrikes on the Al-Watan residential building in central Gaza City. Al-Bawab returned to check and found his home and barber shop partly damaged. The Israeli army called us and told us that only precise bombing would be carried out in the area. They asked us to stay in our homes, but we fled. If we stayed, we'd be dead. Since the beginning of the operation, Palestinians have taken precautions by stockpiling bread and food. Some families living close to the border have left their homes to take shelter in schools or relatives' homes. The Israeli air raids have targeted buildings in central Gaza City. Al-Aklouk Tower is an 11-story building on Al-Nasr Street in central Gaza. It's been brought to the ground by Israeli airstrikes. Abu Muhammad Nasser, who lived in the building, says it contained 80 residential apartments. All the families are now homeless. Our area is a safe residential area with many children, and there's no military site or governmental site. Before the bombing, we ran from our homes at 6 in the morning, and the women and children became hysterical after they woke up terrified. While some Gazan families try to gather what's left of their destroyed homes, others await an uncertain future as they expect a huge Israeli invasion into Gaza in the upcoming days. That was Noor Harazin in Gaza. Yael Anav is an Israeli citizen, was in the city of Ashkelon when several rockets hit the area. She shares her story of what happened. Everybody knows somebody who was killed. Everybody knows somebody who is injured. It's our worst nightmare. Getting up in the morning, uh, 6.30, with sirens, with huge voices of uh, missiles landing on the ground, just 40. I, uh, I send you a picture. It was 40 meters from our house. A full rocket fell down. There's a fire there. There was cars blowing. We were under attack of rockets for many, many years from Gaza Strip into the land of Israel. But this time, it's something nobody saw before. It was a full surprise. It was a terrorist uh, with guns and ammunition uh, coming in from Gaza Strip into our land. It's uh, from the land, from the sea, from the air. It's not something that they planned yesterday. They are planning it for months. They knew what will give the worst blow to Israel ever. They knew it. It's not the fighting soldiers. It's fighting civilians in their homes. Now, nobody in Israel that got up this morning is feeling safe. So many kids now in Israel living, you know, in shelters. They are not going out of the shelters. Uh, they are frightened to death. That was Israeli citizen Yael Enav recalling the moment when her city came under attack. Coming up, oil prices climb following the latest violence in the Middle East. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour.
The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. Twelve minutes past the hour. Well, as tensions between Israel and Hamas continue, oil prices jumped more than four U.S. dollars a barrel in early Asian trade on Monday. A global benchmark Brent has traded more than 4.5 percent higher, while U.S. West Texas intermediate futures rose nearly 4.7 percent. The surge in oil prices reversed last week's downward trend, the largest weekly decline since March. Analysts say if the conflict rages on, it could trouble major oil producers in the area. In response to the escalating tensions in the Middle East, the United Nations Security Council is convened for an emergency session. While ambassadors from both sides were excluded from the closed-door meeting, they spoke ahead of the session. And John Terrett has more from New York. Now, Riyad Mansour is the ambassador for the Palestinian Authority based in the West Bank. He doesn't represent Hamas, which is what we're talking about on the ground, but he is the Palestinian ambassador here. He talked about time to end the bloodshed. He said, where is the international protection for the Palestinian people that they deserve, referring to 56 years under what he called occupation by Israel. He said, we are not subhuman. I said, I'll repeat that. We are not subhuman, he said. And we must, all of us in the world, address the root causes of the problem in the region. So that was Riyad Mansour. And then Gilad Erdan actually spoke an hour before that outside the Security Council. He's the Israeli ambassador here and he talked about what happened over the weekend as being Israel's 9-11. And he also said that Israel would exact a heavy price from Hamas because of what happened and what is still going on. Now there was at the end of this meeting no resolution. I, mean, I don't think there would be anyway, actually, but there was no statement. There was no presidential statement. Very often there is a statement from the Security Council in which they all agree at least on something. Well, they are so far apart on this issue that they couldn't really agree on anything. And one contact I have told me that they, they didn't even bother to come up with a statement because everybody in the room at this point was so far apart. So it was really a sort of fact-finding mission, really, a seeing how the ground lies among all the members of the 15 members of the Security Council. It was that kind of meeting rather than anything decisive. Chinese Ambassador Sheng Jun he spoke before the meeting and he expressed his serious interest in getting a statement from the Security Council. He said he thought that there should be a statement from the Security Council, that it was important to get on the record as early as possible. But in the end, as I said, there wasn't. He also said that China is very concerned about attacks on civilians. That was John Terrett in New York. Well, meantime, China says it opposes and condemns violence against civilians in regards to the ongoing Israel-Palestine conflict. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Mao Ning made the remarks on Monday, and Huang Yue has details. Foreign Ministry spokesperson Mao Ning said that China is deeply concerned over the recent escalation of tensions between Palestine and Israel and is saddened by the uh, civilian casualties caused by the conflict. Uh, she said that China condemns the acts to harm civilians and opposes the actions to expand the conflict. Uh, the spokesperson said the way out of the conflict lies in the implementing the two-state uh, two solution to promote the proper settlement of a Palestinian issue uh, by political means, and she called 
for international community to work together to cool down the situation. And she said China is willing to work with the international community towards that end. The spokesperson said that the foreign ministry have already uh, has already launched the uh, emergency mechanism of consular protection, and the Chinese embassy in Israel and the office in Palestine have both issued emergency security alert and kept close contact with Chinese citizens there, making every effort to ensure their safety. The spokesperson also reminded the Chinese citizens not to travel to Israel or Palestine for the time being, and urged the Chinese citizens in Israel and Palestine to pay close attention to local situation, avoid going out, and contact the Chinese embassy and office for help in case of emergency. That was Huang Yue reporting. A series of earthquakes that hit western Afghanistan on Saturday has killed over 2,400 people. A spokesman for the Ministry of Disasters recently revised the number of injured from over 9,000 uh, to more than over 900 to more than 2,000. Uh, thousands of homes collapsed in the quake. The Taliban government says rescue and relief efforts are underway. In the meantime, the Red Cross Society of China has decided to provide the Afghan Red Crescent with 200,000 U.S. dollars in cash in emergency humanitarian assistance. See Maria Lai Abbasin has more from Kabul. The situation on the ground is far worse than it's been reported so far. Search and rescue operation continues since yesterday with limited resources that the Taliban-led government has. The Afghan Red Crescent Society, uh, personnel from the Ministry of D- Disaster Management, Interior Affairs and Defense have been deployed to the areas. I also spoke with Herat Central Hospital staff and they told that uh, the health facilities are out of medicines and healthcare resources and need immediate assistance from the international organizations. The reason for such a huge loss is poorly made suburban buildings and shelters that lack adequate standards to stand even a magnitude of five to six. About six villages reportedly have been totally destroyed and hundreds of civilians still are under, uh, buried under the debris. The local uh, authorities and the area affected uh, provinces of fear that that toll may rise as the rescue operation still continue and unknown number of people are still uh, buried under the debris, uh, especially in two uh, areas of Zindajan and uh, Badghis province. Also, Farah is unclear. Uh, thousands of residents in Herat, Badghis and Farah provinces have been evacuated the areas and have been relocated in central Herat or other neighboring provinces. Also, rescue uh, supporters from Kabul and other provinces have reached the area. There are still uh, struggles by the locals and other Afghan people who have uh, facilities or resources to help the people. And that's a call from the affected people and our authorities in the area to bring the immediate relief aid to the areas while this strategy will still continue for a couple of days and the search and rescue operation is on the way. That was the Marielai Abbasin reporting. In Germany, polls have closed in the key states of Hesse and Bavaria. Initial projections show the three parties make up the country's coalition government suffering losses, while the main conservative opposition won in both states. Natalie Carney reports from Munich. 
Polls have now closed after a very active day across the uh, southern alpine state of Bavaria here in Germany with what uh, election monitors say was a very good turnout. And as was expected, uh, according to initial projections, it is the CSU, the Christian Social Union, which has come out with the most amount of votes currently, uh, roughly around 36%. That is uh, the polling numbers that they went into these elections with. Now, the CSU has run this state for many, many years, decades in fact, and have long held a majority government. Therefore, these election results are not exactly what they were hoping for, and they will be forced to enter into a coalition with another party. Coming in second are the Greens, with roughly around 16%, followed interestingly by the AFD, the Alternative for Deutschland. Now, this is a far-right party here in Germany, and going into these elections, they were polling around 5 percent above what they brought in back in 2018. So these election results will provide them with a few extra seats in the 19th Bavarian state parliament. And then we have the Free Voters, which is a loose union of independents uh, that have formed the party called the Free Voters of Bavaria. They have been with the CSU for the past five years. Could they be the next coalition partner? They have brought in, as we're polling going into these elections, roughly around 14%. Here are some of the issues that voters had on their minds as they went to the polls. My issue are um, the migration, of course, the energy in Germany, is a, a very, very um, big um, icon. I think the biggest problem of our time is climate change. Yes, and um, also, and all other things are uh, connected to this. Uh, social aspects are the most important things, but not especially one aspect or something like that. Why these state elections are so important here in Germany? Well, that's because the CSU, the Christian Social Union, right of center party, has long dominated politics here. For many, many decades, they held an absolute majority. And uh, with a state population of about 13 million, that makes up roughly uh, about 10 to 15 percent of the federal electorate. So what happens here clearly has an impact on politics in Berlin. That was Natalie Carney updating us on the German elections. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, Chinese experts helping to restore an ancient Uzbek city. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. It's 22 minutes past the hour. Chinese restorers have brought an ancient city in Uzbekistan back to life. It's among dozens of restoration programs between China and its partner nations under the framework of the Belt and Road Initiative. Wang Zihang has more. The ancient city of Kiva is the most seaside for travelers in Uzbekistan. Merchants used to converge in this trading post on the ancient Silk Road to exchange goods between the east and the west. As time went by, some buildings in this ancient city suffered from erosion due to a variety of factors. Cracks appeared and exquisite ceramic tiles fell from some of the structures. In 2013, China and Uzbekistan reached an agreement on the restoration of the historical and cultural heritage sites inside Kiva. Chiao Yunfei, known as the Doctor of Cultural Relics, is the design manager over the restoration plan. He came up with an emergency rescue plan after studying the structures for two years. 
In order to carry out this program, we visited every corner of the ancient city in 2014. We did a detailed research of the damage to the cultural relics. The Chinese restoration team tried to keep the ancient city's original look as much as possible. That's part of the reason why they employed many local craftsmen who have traditional skills. Rustem Tahirov is one of them. This ancient city was built by our ancestors. It's our responsibility to restore it as it used to be. We worked together and negotiated with experts from China. The restoration lasted for around six years. While working on ancient buildings, the Chinese restoration team also cultivated some local technicians in the protection of cultural relics. According to local resident Abdullah Yusupov, they also worked to improve the local environment, which enabled the ancient city to welcome tourists again. In the past, the roads were muddy and sewage can be seen everywhere. Now it is smooth and much wider. The workers from China helped us build and repair roads and install a drainage system and electric lights. We are delighted as our living conditions become better. Now tourists from around the world are able to wander in this ancient city, restored to its former splendor. Vice President of Li Xiangdong of the Chinese Academy of Cultural Heritage says BRI cultural heritage protection projects have helped to boost cultural exchanges. We use these programs to increase awareness about the importance of protecting cultural relics and to collaborate on new technologies. We also invite local people to participate, which helps us to better understand each other and fosters more cultural exchange and integration. Over the past decade, China has conducted over 30 joint archaeological programs with 17 partner countries of the Belt and Road Initiative. China has also been actively promoting cooperation on restoration of cultural relics. Cultural protection programs have been implemented in 11 sites in six countries. For the Beijing Hour, this is Wang Zihang. And、uh, Colombia's government and the country's largest group of dissident rebels have begun peace talks and started a 10-month bilateral ceasefire. The negotiations with EMC are part of Colombian President Gustavo Petro's efforts to reach total peace. Colombian High Peace Commissioner Danilo Rueda says the ceasefire intends to restore peace in the country. The ceasefire aims at protecting the people. Second, avoid the unnecessary bloodshed of soldiers, police, and guerrillas, but also of any other member of any other armed group that has a territorial dispute in our country. Negotiations began in Tibu, where frequent clashes between Colombia's military and illegally armed groups took place, and where vast swaths of land are covered in crops of coca, the chief ingredient in cocaine. Residents of the Tumbira community in the Brazilian Amazon are suffering from severe drought. The community sits on the riverbank of a tributary of the Negro River, which is also a tributary to the Amazon River. Local media reports say that since June, the Rio Negro water level has descended to less than 15 meters, marking the ninth worst drought in history. A resident there talked about how climate change has affected the community. We've seen it. I'm 82 years old, and in the past, at 10 in the morning, you could go to the beach walking barefoot on the sand. But now nobody can bear this. The temperature is different. 
very different. Water temperatures have impacted local routines and businesses. Motorboats are sitting idle and they no longer ferry tourists or students to local sites and schools. Experts say that uh, the record drought is the result of the El Nino phenomenon, which warms the Pacific Ocean's surface water. One month after an earthquake shook Morocco, residents are beginning to grapple with the challenges posed by rebuilding. The earthquake has killed nearly 3,000 people and destroyed buildings and villages throughout the Atlas Mountains. Alongside piles of rubble where homes stood not long ago, the rhythms of village life have begun to return in Amismis. Entire neighborhoods collapsed and reality is setting in on a long and arduous recovery. Residents worry about housing, economic recovery, and psychological support for their friends and neighbors. Uh, Morocco plans to offer families assistance to rebuild destroyed homes, but that won't include renters whose homes fell in the earthquake. They will get stipends instead. We're at 28 minutes past the hour. Beijing's at 10 degrees overnight. It'll be sunny and 22 on Tuesday. Chongqing's is uh, 18 this evening, uh, then cloudy and 21. Last is down to 7 degrees, turning cloudy and 22 tomorrow. Hong Kong's at 24 this evening, then overcast and 27. Elsewhere, uh, Tokyo's 16 this evening, a light rainfall and 26 degrees on Tuesday. Islamabad's down to 17, then sunny and 32. Bangkok's at 25 tonight, then rainfall and 31 tomorrow. In Africa, Nairobi's getting a light rainfall in 30 degrees. Finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 13 this evening, a Tuesday a light rain in 19, Auckland's down to 12 overnight, then a light rain in 15, Port Vila some rain and 26 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, the Chinese president's met, uh, met with the U.S. delegation headed by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Oil prices have jumped following some of the worst violence between Israel and Hamas in decades. And Chinese experts are helping with the restoration of an ancient Uzbek city. Shane Bigham with you. Stay with us here on the Bay. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. German Railway Company Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, 你好,我的中文一点点. or a sophisticated learner, 我来北京五年了,我是本地人. There is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Bigham with you on this Monday, still to come. 
In business, strong numbers from China's retail and logistics sectors. In sports, China sets a golden record at the Hangzhou Asian Games. In culture and entertainment, China's strong box office numbers over last week's holiday. To contact us, you can email audionewsroom at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. First of all, with the day's headline news, here's Tian Yu. Thank you, Shane. Chinese President Xi Jinping has met with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and his delegation in Beijing. Xi Jinping said the China-U.S. relationship is the most important one in the world, and how the two countries get along with each other in the face of a world of change and turmoil will determine the future of mankind. He said China and the U.S. must demonstrate the broad-mindedness, vision, and responsibility of major countries and work to enhance the well-being of the people and promote societal progress. He said the world is developing and times are changing, but the historical logic of peaceful coexistence between China and the United States has not changed. Earlier in the day, senior diplomat Wang Yi also held talks with Schumer. Both sides expressed willingness to to strengthen communication and responsibly manage bilateral relations. Wang said Beijing hopes this visit can help contribute to a more objective understanding of China in the U.S. Congress and stabilize and improve ties. He also called on the U.S. to respect China's own development path. Schumer acknowledged that competition between the two countries in areas such as trade and technology is natural, and the U.S. does not does not seek conflict with China. He also reiterated that his country does, doesn't want decoupling with China. Israel's cabinet has declared a state of war after Hamas attacked on Saturday. At least 700 Israelis have died so far. That includes 260 young people attending Nova Festival, an outdoor music event near the Gaza-Israel fence. Israeli airstrikes have killed over 400 in Gaza in retaliation for one of the bloodiest attacks in its history. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin says the United States will send multiple military ships and aircraft closer to Israel. Washington believes Hamas's attack may aim to disrupt a potential normalizing of Israel-Saudi Arabia ties. Austin added that the, that the United States will provide munitions to Israel and its security assistance will begin moving. The Pentagon will be adding fighter jets to the region as well. Hamas fighters rampaged through Israeli towns as the country suffered its deadliest day in decades on Saturday. Israel battered Palestinians with uh, airstrikes in Gaza on Sunday, with hundreds reportedly killed on both sides. Meantime, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz has stressed the need to avoid a wider conflagration in the Middle East after Hamas attacked Israel. Scholz said he had spoken with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and assured him that Israel's security is a cornerstone of German policy. These acts are barbaric, they're outrageous. And they cannot be justified by anything, by anything at all. I spoke to Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on the phone at noon today and assured him that in the face of this terrible attack, Germany stands firmly and unwaveringly by Israel's side. Israel's security is Germany's reason of state. This is especially true in difficult times like these, and we will act accordingly. He also said he plans to speak to Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi and will support Egypt in efforts to mediate and de-escalate. 
A series of earthquakes in western Afghanistan have left over 2,400 people dead. Rescue operations continue. A spokesman for the Ministry of Disasters has revised the number of injured from over 900 to more than 2,000. More than 1,300 homes toppled when a 6.2 earthquake and strong aftershocks hit Herat Province on Saturday. Ten rescue teams are working in the area. Tens of thousands of people marched in downtown Barcelona on Saturday, asking acting Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez not to give amnesty to exiled Catalan separatists in exchange for votes that would assure him a second term. Catalan civil society president Elda Mata is one of the protest organizers. We ask for respect to the rule of law. The government mustn't exchange political favors so they can govern Spain, giving all that in exchange for seven key votes in the parliament. Also, 45 consecutive years of conceding things to regional governments to retain power. Spain's king has asked Sanchez to try and form a new coalition government following talks with political party leaders to determine which of them had the best chance of securing majority support in parliament. Sanchez has been Spain's prime minister for the past five years and is the country's acting leader until a new government is formed. He said he, that he would consult all parties except the extreme right Fox as he seeks to put together a governing majority. Fox received the third highest number of votes in the election, which produced a splintered parliament made up of 350 legislators from 11 parties, making the path to power difficult for any one of them. If no government is in place by November the 27th, another national election would take place on January the 14th. China's Ministry of Commerce says it will extend the mainland's probe into the Taiwan's trade restrictions. The Commerce Ministry launched an investigation into Taiwan's trade restrictive measures against the mainland on April the 12th. The ministry said that, given the complexity of the case, it has decided to extend the probe to January the 12th, 2024. China's Hainan province has ordered the suspension of all ferry services in the Chongzhou Strait as Taiwan Koinu approaches. As Typhoon Koinu approaches, the typhoon is forecast to bring strong gales and heavy rain to the northern half of the island province from Monday night to Wednesday. The typhoon has weakened to a severe tropical storm. It is still gradually weakening while moving toward the eastern coast of Hainan. Local railway authorities have suspended passenger train services into and out of the island. Dengue fever will become the major threat in many parts of the United States, Europe, and Africa by 2030. The World Health Organization blames warmer temperatures creating the conditions for the mosquitoes that carry the infection to to spread. The illness has long haunted many parts of the world, causing an estimated 20,000 deaths each year. Rates of the disease have already risen eightfold globally since 2000, driven largely by climate change as well as the increased movement of people and urbanization. According To one estimate, 4.2 million cases were reported worldwide in 2022. Thanks for the update. That was Tian Yu. This is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, strong numbers from China's retail and logistics sectors. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impacts of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Thirty-eight minutes past the hour. Well, stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished lower on Monday. Timothy Pope has more. 
there wasn't a huge amount of energy in the market. They reopened after a week-long uh, holiday for China's National Day. Uh, trading volumes were pretty modest. Uh, the Shanghai Composite Index slipped by almost half of 1%. That was despite some fairly encouraging holiday spending data showing a jump in travel and services spending over the break. Uh, that's uh, even compared with pre-pandemic levels. Those jumps were pretty impressive. Uh, and this was data that uh, many market watchers had been holding out for, but it doesn't seem to have breathed new life into the markets just yet. Shenzhen's markets were uh, looking fairly flat and they were uh, dominated by a 20% jump for biopharma company Chongqing Jiefei. Uh, the firm signed a $3 billion uh, US dollar deal with the British drug maker GSK and that's to distribute uh, GSK's single shingles vaccine rather in, uh, in China. Uh, this is uh, a three-year deal and it's going to become effective uh, from the start of 2024 according to a stock exchange filing. Aside from that, though, we saw some sharp falls for uh, China's real estate developers, uh, consumer, financial and uh, industrial stocks as well. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was up around a tenth of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei dropped nearly three-tenths of a percent. China's retail and logistics sectors maintained strong momentum in September as supportive policies took effect. Uh, the China General Chamber of Commerce says its Retail Prosperity Index, a barometer of retailer expectations, has surged to a 12-month high at over 51 this month. Uh, meantime, the Logistics Prosperity Index climbed to nearly 54. That's up more than three points from August. The China Federation of Logistics and Purchasing says supportive policies have unleashed consumption potential and subsequently driven demand. China's high-end manufacturing companies have gained strong momentum in recent years, with robust growth in both added value and production. In August, the added value of the country's high-tech manufacturing increased by nearly 3%. Uh, Xu Jiayuan is the deputy director of the Industrial and Economic Research Department at the Development Research Center. Notably, in August, China's high-tech and high-value-added manufacturing sectors underwent significantly faster growth than other manufacturing industries, showing that industrial upgrading is advancing steadily in the country. The high-quality development of the manufacturing industries can not only boost China's international competitiveness, but also effectively enhance the endogenous driving force of its economic growth. Both electronic production equipment and electronics manufacturing registered double-digit growth in added value. A train factory in Malaysia's Batu Gajab is turning the area into a regional manufacturing hub. Huang Yue visited the factory established by China Railway Rolling Stock Corporation and spoke with staff there. Pan Kosun is a staff member at the after-sales service department of the Malaysian factory operated by China Railway Rolling Stock Corporation or CRRC. Born and raised in Batu Gaja, a city roughly 200 kilometers from Malaysia's capital Kuala Lumpur, Pan says when he was young, driving was the only option when traveling to the capital. But for his niece, who attends a university in Kuala Lumpur, weekly trips back to Batu Gaja are comfortably made by train. Sometimes I'd ask, what train did you take? Was it comfortable? She said the train was pleasant and clean, and I'd feel very proud because the train was made by the company I work with. It's a sense of accomplishment. Pan is just one of the local employees at CRRC's Malaysian Center. 
Since it launched in 2015, the factory has prioritized localization, with over 80% of its workforce coming from Malaysia. This manufacturing center represents CRRC's first overseas base and is capable of producing electric and diesel locomotives as well as metro and light rail vehicles. This makes Malaysia the first ASEAN member to have the capacity to manufacture rail transit equipment. Since 2015, we've already completed four local orders with an annual capacity of manufacturing 100 electric multiple units, accounting for 80 percent of the Malaysian market. In addition to manufacturing, maintenance plays a significant role in the company's Malaysian operations. Staff members are dispatched to railway depots for around-the-clock maintenance, especially during festivals when passenger traffic surges. The train you just saw was heading to Batu Caves, a popular tourist destination and also a pilgrimage site for Tamil Hindus. During the Taipusam festival, the railway line runs 24 hours per day. For three consecutive days, so our staff are also on standby to ensure normal operations. As an important stop along the ancient Maritime Silk Road, Malaysia is now playing a significant role in building the 21st century Maritime Silk Road. And if Jonko lives in this century, he will be astonished to find that high-speed trains instead of ships or horses would take him travel across Malaysia, and they are much faster, more comfortable, and more efficient. That was Huang Yue reporting. China's bulk commodity index rose for a second month last month, following a, a pickup in August. The figure nudged up by 0.9 points to 103.6 in September, and that's the highest since August of 2020. Supply and sales both grew, showing a, a stable increase of bulk commodities and surging domestic demand. The supply of automobiles reversed its downward trend and began to climb. Supply of coal, non-ferrous metals, and chemicals continued to increase with an accelerated. Growth rate. In Thailand, wearable robotic equipment from China has attracted the attention of Thai companies looking to optimize their intensive logistics and handling. Liu Jiaxin spoke with uh, with uh, with staff at a company and industry insiders about how they are benefiting. A robot that can be worn, put it on like a vest. You can move as light as a swallow. It's called exoskeleton robot, aiming to assist the human movement with an external force. This is impossible for me without the exoskeleton. The one on my back from a Chinese company has already been presented in many scenarios: manufacturing, logistics, sports rehabilitation, military industry, even as a sci-fi configuration of the wandering Earth. No wonder it has caught the attention of overseas market. A few months ago, a Thai factory had placed an order. We have the raw material process, right? We have the heavy material for movement. Our people have limitation. That's why we will find this product for support our factory. The probability of lumbar muscle strain and shoulder and back injury exceeds 20% in the United States and over 50% in China. After the birth of exoskeleton robots, companies only need to make a trade-off between tens of billions of dollars in work-related injury insurance 
and the cost of purchasing robots. There are a large number of manual jobs that cannot be replaced by special equipment or full automation and can only rely on people. Nowadays, it's very difficult to recruit people for heavy physical positions. Laborers are getting older, and we hope that exoskeleton robots can empower them and make them work sustainably. Zhang's idea coincides with Jay, who's been working in the manufacturing industry in Southeast Asian market for decades. After receiving this batch of Chinese products, he not only applied them in his own company, but also introduced his business partners to place orders. He believes that the era of robots has arrived. You know, automation uh, is is part of our original plan to improve productivity, to reduce the labor cost, to protect our business. It's getting harder and harder to employ a young and energetic uh, labor right now at this time too. You know. Starting from China and heading towards Southeast Asia, Europe, and the broader international stage is not just John's plan. It's only a matter of time for China's quality tech products. That was Liu Jiaxin reporting. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, China sets a golden record at the Hangzhou Asian Games. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. At 47 minutes past the hour and turning to sports now, the Hangzhou Asian Games have wrapped up. And China set a new record with 201 gold medals, followed by Japan and South Korea. Over the past 16 days, around 12,000 athletes from the Asian continent participated in the event. Xie Jianyep, who achieved a, a golden double in the men's 100-meter and 4x100-meter relay in Hangzhou, served as the Chinese delegation's flag bearer at the closing ceremony. The Hangzhou Asiad produced 13 world records. A meantime, Olympic Council of Asia acting president Rajat Randir Singh says organizers have managed to deliver a perfect event. What you achieved and the city has achieved is literally like a perfection in everything. The facilities that you have provided are world class. I mean, the best you can find. I have been to many Olympics myself. I participated in five of them. But I think what Hangzhou has done now is much farther ahead. Well, Japan will hold the next edition of the Asian Games. Well, esports have officially joined the Asian Games for the first time at this edition in Hangzhou. Greg Lafrady spoke with former IOC executive Vandin Bogard uh, to discuss uh, the new discipline. This obviously seems like a positive step in the right direction in terms of esports being included in the highest platform of sport, which is, of course, the Olympics. So I want to ask you straight up how long do you think until we see esports as being a medal event in the Olympics? What are the events that would have to be dropped or transformed, rather, to include virtual sports, basically? If I'm thinking about cycling, uh, uh, if you want to have virtual cycling in the games, it probably means UCI would have to consider one of uh, their other events, you know, to be transformed into this virtual cycling uh, as, as, as a medal event. So, and, and this is uh, an ongoing process uh, at the IOC. And as then one of the decisions expected in the coming month is typically what would be the additional sports for Los Angeles 2028. So that, that could be an, uh, an opportunity. The program for Brisbane 2032 uh, is under, uh, will be under discussion in the coming months and years. So obviously with those timelines of you know, seven, eight, ten years ahead of the games, in a way it may feel like a long time. 
but this is this is the process as well to grow athletes uh, at an elite level uh, on a new discipline or new event. That was former IOC executive Van Den Bogard speaking. Kelvin Kiptum set a new world record on Sunday as he ran the Chicago Marathon in two hours and 34 seconds. The 23-year-old Kenyan was behind the current world record pace at the halfway mark, but picked up the pace uh, at the end to make history. I feel so happy. Uh, I was well prepared. I knew I was coming for a, a course record, but unfortunately, a world record. As I saw the time in front of me, I said, let me try. Maybe I can run under... 200, unfortunately, yeah. Uh, Kiptum is self-coached and has only ran two marathons previously. On the women's side, Safan Hassan from the Netherlands won the race in two hours, 13 minutes, and 44 seconds. The result is the second fastest women's time in marathon history and a Chicago course record. In tennis, Iga Swiatek beat Ludmila Samsonova in straight sets to win the WTA 1000 China Open in Beijing. The win is her fifth title of the 2023 season and the 16th of her career. Very happy, you know, for sure it was the last thing that I expected at the beginning of the tournament. And, you know, this match today, even though, you know, the score seems like it may be easy, it wasn't, you know, it was a really intense match and uh, Ludmila put a lot of pressure on me. With the win, Schwantek moves past Coco Goff uh, for titles won in 2023 and also becomes the first player to win five or more in back-to-back -back seasons since Serena Williams in 2015 and 16. In Formula One, Max Verstappen continued his dominance at the Qatar Grand Prix. The Red Bull driver started on pole, stayed clear of Lewis Hamilton and George Russell, colliding alongside him at the first corner, and was then com uh, comfortably ahead for the rest of the race. We made our race, I think, in the, in the first stint where I could really pull a gap. But yeah, from there on, I think they were quite competitive behind us, even though I was just managing a bit my, my pace. Uh, the win moves for Stappen to 433 points. Uh, with five Grand Prix and two sprint races still to come this year, the driver is set to overhaul his own record of most points in a single season. The record currently stands at 454. In football, Arsenal finally ended their 12-game losing streak to Manchester City in the Premier League. Arsenal scored in the 87th minute to secure a 1-0 win over the defending champions. City, meanwhile, suffered consecutive league losses for the first time since 2018, following their 2-1 defeat at the Wolves. Arsenal and Tottenham now top the standings on 20 points from eight games, with two, uh, City uh, two points behind in third. Uh, coming up in culture and entertainment, we take a look at China's strong box office numbers over uh, last week's holiday. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. At 53 minutes past the hour, turning to culture and entertainment now. And first up, China's box office raked in uh, over 2.7 billion yuan. And that's roughly 380 million U.S. dollars during the eight-day Mid-Autumn Festival and National Day holiday. Domestic films dominated the chart, making up more than 95% of the total earnings. Director Zhang Yimou's crime suspense movie Under the Light earned over 120 million U.S 
U.S. dollars at the box office. Cinemas across the country recorded over 65 million moviegoers during the holiday period. An archaeological exhibition is currently underway at the Hong Kong Palace Museum. The exhibition displays the latest discoveries unearthed from the Sanxing Dui ruins site in Sichuan province. It features 120 bronze, jade, gold, and ceramic relics aged between 2,600 and 4,500 years ago. Archaeologists found nearly half of the objects on display during recent excavations at the site. And uh, it's the first time they've uh, been shown at a major exhibition outside of Sichuan province. The exhibition runs until January. Uh, Shanghai Fashion Week is kicked off. It'll feature hundreds of shows. Sustainability takes center stage with many designers using natural fabrics and uh, eco-friendly practices. Chen Tong has more. Simple cuts and colors. The opening show by domestic fashion brand Icicle showcases 48 looks inspired by nature. It's their first appearance at Shanghai Fashion Week, and they are emphasizing the use of natural fabrics in their collection. We are proud of it. We are happy to participate to this uh, global industry in fashion because we are all passionate about it. We want to show that we make beautiful uh, everyday garments for a real reason. A sustainability forum was also held in Shanghai on Sunday, highlighting the importance of reducing waste in the fashion industry. Brands and industry insiders say the process remains expensive at present, but they add it's an ideal worth striving for. In the current industrial chain, insisting on sustainability requires a lot of money, but it's also a growing trend. More consumers will adopt sustainable lifestyles. We need to cooperate with partners upstream and downstream to lower our costs. The designers, the, the fashion industry in Shanghai has their industry uh, advantage, a lot of advantage. Um, but I think they need to kind of open their eye and also to have more collaboration with uh, kind of uh, um, other um, players in the system, like those shopping mall, community, uh, technology, to make their kind of fabric design be more connected to the whole ecosystem. Over 1,000 young designers will showcase their latest sustainable designs at this season's trade fair during the week-long event. This season's Shanghai Fashion Week is once again focusing on sustainable fabrics, and that's quite apparent while walking around the trade fair. While China is the largest producer and exporter of apparel textiles, but Shanghai is giving out a signal to the industry to reduce waste at a Fashion Week. That was Chen Tong reporting. An Asian Games-themed exhibition of engravings has drawn art enthusiasts to the Chinese Seal Museum in Hangzhou. Among the highlights is a seal crafted by Tong Yanfeng. He says his designs incorporated many sports elements. When I think of the sports games, I want to illustrate the strength of a stamp. So I think this stroke should be a little thicker with a slight difference on the head and tail, so that the intention of my seal will be a little in line with the style of the event. Bearing this thought in mind, this stamp made by myself looks full of energy. Museums received over 16,000 visitors during the eight-day National Day holiday, and the exhibit runs until October 20th. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, 60 minutes of comprehensive news, your window on China and the world. 
uh, 57 minutes past the hour. Checking the forecast before we go for the day and uh, Beijing's down to 10 degrees overnight. It'll be sunny with a high of 22 on Tuesday. Chongqing's at 18 this evening, then cloudy skies and 21. Last is down to 7 overnight, then sunny, turning to cloudy and 22 tomorrow. Hong Kong's at 24 this evening, then overcast conditions and 27 degrees. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 16 overnight, a light rainfall and 26 on Tuesday. Islamabad's at 17 tonight, then sunny skies and 32. Bangkok's 25 this evening, then rainy conditions and 31 degrees. In Africa, Nairobi's getting a light rain and 30 degrees Celsius. Finally, to Oceania, Sydney's at 13 this evening. Tuesday, a light rainfall and 19. Auckland's at 12 degrees overnight. Tomorrow gets a light rain and 15. Port Vila, some rainfall and 26 degrees Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, the Chinese president met with a U.S. delegation headed by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer in Beijing. Oil prices have jumped following some of the worst violence between Israel and Hamas in decades. Chinese experts are helping with the restoration of an ancient Uzbek city. And in business today, we had strong numbers from China's retail and logistics sectors. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From North to South, East to West, People in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 